Hello, and you're listening to Let's Drone Out. And special thank you to our lovely patrons that help donate so that we can pay the editor to remove the swear words and silly things we say. Massive thank you to... Carlos Campos. Art Faulkner. Sam Dharma. Mikey Dread. On with the show. Let's Drone Out. Hello and welcome to Let's Drone Out. Tonight we are talking about drone soccer. Uh, tonight we are joined by Andrew Satrank. Good evening. Stephen. Hello guys. It's me, Jack. And with us as our guest tonight is Carl Sanders. Hey, thanks for having David me. Roberts. Hi there. Hello and welcome. Thank you for having us. Yeah, well, thank you for coming on because... Uh, it was a, a few months ago now that um, I came across Drone Soccer talking to people at the Western Park International Model Show, mm-hmm. um, which is sort of where I first became aware of it. People were talking about the FAI rules and mentioned that there was this uh, new kind of part of the FAI that mentioned Drone Soccer. I was like, oh, that's exciting. There's something new yeah. that I'm not aware of. So I, I looked back through and found out about how um, you know this sort of originally started up in a slightly different form uh, in Germany um, and then it was uh, really sort of popularized in in South Korea in 2019 when it was the the drone masters um, where they had a, a competition there between the South Korean team and the German team I think that was kind of really where sort of it spawned out but it seemed like the you know, you guys, the US drone soccer guys, seem to have got the furthest with making this into mm-hmm. a thing because everything sort of seemed like it's gone on hold everywhere else. But you seem like you've been making strides, yeah. leaps and bounds ahead of everyone else at the moment. So I'm really happy that you've come on to sort of talk to us about what you're doing and how you're doing it and, you know, everything that you're doing with drone soccer as well. So thank you yeah. very much for coming on. So, thank with you that, should we ask that. them how they got started with drone soccer? Kind of. Yeah, where, where you got on board and where it started. What's both your backgrounds? How did you meet and sort of how have you ended up doing drone sports? Sure. Let me just back up a little bit in uh, respect for the notion of drone soccer and where it came from. Just since we're on an international broadcast, we're hoping that people from all over the world listen to this. And so we want to respect the notion that there was a gentleman named Ji Soo Lee of South, in South Korea who was probably his original idea. He wrote the rule set and had this notion of drone soccer that would be a family sport. Um, the family unit in Korea, I understand, usually it's a father, mother, and a child. And so the idea is they'd be able to go to the park with the drone soccer, with their each having a drone soccer ball, and be able to compete and play a nice sport against other people. That was the initial idea where it came up. So um, though that was uh, probably about 2014, 2015, when Jisoo started building a team towards that end and and coming up with different variations on what a drone soccer ball would be. 
So not your typical mass team event then, designed to stop quite a small number, small number of participants. interaction event, a way, a new tech way of getting out and, and interacting with your neighbors and the people around you to get outside and go to the park doing something else that that um, there might be a whole bunch of learning. I had a nice long conversation with Jisoo Lee a, a few years back when we were just doing the research on what drone software might be, what it is, where it's coming from, um, and gained a lot of respect for the for the folks in Korea that put this all together. Because at this point, there are thousands of teams that are playing drone soccer in South Korea. It's really the, the heart or the, the bed of where drone soccer derived out. Mm-hmm. So from there, then our friends in Germany, um, Matthias and others, um, worked towards the idea of taking this drone soccer on as a sport that would be a part of the World Air Sports Federation or the Federation Aeronautique International out of Louisiana in Switzerland. The World Air Sports Federation is the um, authority on all air sports records. You think of the Red Bull Air Racing, that's part of um, the World Air Sports Federation. There's many different disciplines from helicopters, to parachuting, full scale, and um, on, even in models, there's different classifications of um, competition that end up happening. We all compete together mm-hmm. you hear about scale aerobatic pilots that are going to nationals here in the united states that are ultimately going to compete on an international basis and that's all based on the fai so about 2017 the fai 2016 2017 the fai um finally after a lot of conversation because things happen slowly within the fai world just because they're a formal organization they finally adopted a new set new pair of set of rules Every, all the rules are categorized um, with a number and letter. So F9U was drone racing, which I think we've heard about. Mm-hmm. And F9A, the rule set included within that was F9A was drone soccer. So with drone racing, we have seen that come forward um, all around the world. And the FAI has worked very carefully to have World Cup style competitions or World, class, World Cup class competitions, mainly across Europe and Asia. Um, not so much in the United States yet. Um, there's um, other organizations that have been doing drone racing here, um, but ultimately Team USA was fielded to come to the World Drone Racing Championships held by the FAI in 2017 in Shenzhen. Maybe it's 2018 in Shenzhen, and then 2019 in Ningbo, China, um, where the drone racing, the F9U, happened. There was glorious competition. It was probably one of the best days or weeks in drone racing that, that was had. I had the opportunity to field Team USA from here in the U.S. I'm president of Multi-GP for several years, and um, we put together um, Team USA. It was the fastest three pilots, the fastest female, and the fastest 17 and, un- 17 and younger student mm-hmm. um, that then went we went to China several times, I think three times. So you chose races, races. You, didn't, you didn't do a league to determine the participants? We had a multi-GP as a league of 22,000 pilots around the world. And the we did have a championship competition here in the United States to field Team USA. Right, but this, they were taking out multi-GP. There wasn't a kind of drone soccer. Drone US soccer league. had not happened yet. Drone right. soccer was okay. brand we're sorry, we're still talking about multi GP. I guess the reason drone soccer, right? Okay. Yeah, the reason I tell that that story is I found myself with Matthias, the German folks who were bringing interested in introducing drone soccer to 
um, not only Europe, but to the United States and sat down and went through the rule set that the FAI adopted for F9A. And so what do you think about bringing this to the U.S.? And um, at first I was really focused on drone racing, but the more I thought about and looked at it and studied what drone soccer is, the more it made sense that this is an incredibly cool sport that engages everyone in a room, that it's a type yeah. of sport that you can truly see the action. And we, we know from the students that they first have to, mm-hmm. what we built is a program where they have to first learn how to build the aircraft and then they program them and they right. fly them and, and repair them. And when they repair them, they turn into junior engineers. When they fly them, they, turn, they, they discover the joy of flight. When they, fix, when they fix them and they fly again, they're thrilled. They're, they're out of their mind, ready to Excellent. go. And so we knew from those additional tests that this would be something that uh, possibly would play, but we didn't want to just invent a ball. We wanted to make sure we underlined it with lesson plans and curriculum so that a teacher could say, we want to bring this into a classroom and here's all the lesson plans. Everything oh, that's excellent. Because something like this is really key to getting participation. You look at multi-GP and there's a huge amount of skill, but it's very difficult for the spectators to really find a way into that sport unless they're already pilots themselves. Whereas right. something like this, there's an instant attraction, I guess, an instant recognition of what's happening. Well, yeah, and that's, um, you know, when we got started early on was um, what was exciting about the opportunity, you know, uh, we met at a big drone race we did on an Air Force base. And um, the first, Kyle and I met, he produced this race, you can tell, but it was the first ever on a United States Air Force base, the Little Rock Air Force base. First drone race. Excuse you know, me, we Kyle. had uh, 25,000 kids come in a single day to see all these exhibits. And, um, you know, everybody's excited for drone racing. Um, that was my first taste of it. Uh, you know, my background is a combat pilot. And uh, even for me, drone racing was near impossible, you know, uh, that was when these new FAA rules were coming out. And so I was very interested in the new space, but too tough for me, you know, can't do it. Uh, Great so if you're he, a teenager, got those reflexes. Right. <laughs> so when he told me about drone soccer, I said, no, that is something uh, that I think could really bring a ton of people into uh, the community, into drone sports, into drones in general. And, um, you know, here, in the U.S., uh, the foundation of every sport is the middle and high school athletics programs that are mm. paid for by the school systems. So we looked at rolling out drone soccer in that way, create this foundation of students all across the country who are mm-hmm. eager to play the sport, and then they will grow into our professional and international players here in the next couple of years. Great. Uh, I imagine it probably is, is a lot more appealing to schools that they're flying around with something with a nice hard plastic case around it instead of just exposed <laughs> props as well. And so you'd be a little more inclined to let your, your kids fly those around a gymnasium than take a five inch race drone and, and rip one of those around. Yeah. And I'm not sure what you, uh, what your flight rules are in the UK uh, with respect to drones, but here the FAA has been really cracking down. So a lot of these schools can no longer fly outdoors. Uh, mm. They have a lot of restrictions on, getting teachers licensed before they can even teach drones. And it's a challenge, you know, drone soccer is an indoor sport. It's inside Mm -hmm. a netted arena. So it's safe. The drones themselves are in a cage. So you can literally grab them with your hands. And they're Uh, less than 250 grams. So we're below the limit of 250 grams for registration. Makes it a lot easier to bring it in. So schools can adopt it without any experience. Easier to get those parental consent forms. All of that good stuff. (laughs) That's right. I mean, the the other thing in terms of sort of making a, an event easy to organize or, you know, not necessarily an event, but a, 
uh, having a group of people together and flying something. I mean, with the, the FPV racing, the contention of radio is a big problem. Um, but with the, the drone socket, it seems like it's all line of sight, so you're not worried about sort of video clashing into each other. Is that, is that right? That's correct. The, the 5.8 signal on the FPV feed can be a challenge, so there's going to be a limit to the number of people that would participate. We do actually see that eventually there might be um, an FPV version. I have one of our balls here, and I think Kyle has one where we put cameras onto them. We can talk a little bit about the aircraft themselves later, but um, right now, it is totally line of sight. And so there isn't a radio challenge. We could get hundreds of balls up in the fly, up flying um, potentially at the same time because it's all line of sight and with radio control, not it's radio and the FPV, it's radio and, and first person video. Mm -hmm. So would that also serve pretty well to, to get people their kind of flying credentials if, if they want to get, get a cert at the end of it so that they're, you know, legally approved by whatever... Uh, model flying association you, you have in the US, typically those credentials are line of sight, right? Well, there's, well, there's a couple of layers to that. To um, initially get the credentials, one thing that we do within the programming of it is to jump right into the midst of the aircraft is as a flight controller. So we mm -hmm. have it pre-programmed so that the aircraft won't tilt over more than 20 degrees, so that it's throttles capped, yeah. so that it will allow success for the first student when they first begin to fly it. So you have an easy you know, it's fully programmable. We get beta flight, so it's open source, fully programmable, mm -hmm. where they can then adjust the tilt, they can adjust the parameters, they can make it really a screamer. But initially, it's, it's set to mm -hmm. fly. One of the things that we've done at U.S. Drone Soccer is we, we have worked very carefully with the Academy of Mall Aeronautics, the AMA. They are our partner in bringing this sport across to the United States, all across the United States, but also they are our partner with the FAI. They are a subset of the FAI. So that allows us to have the students go from local play, regional, national competitions onto World Cup plays, where we, we will have national, international competitions. But with that, then, we also, um, part of the membership program within U.S. Drone Soccer is that we provide membership to the AMA for every single student. So they begin their career, if you will, in drone soccer in a culture of safety that the AMA is providing. And also the AMA provides a lot of leadership in Washington, D.C., fighting for, not fighting against the FAA, but working with the FAI, FAA on the rule sets that are coming out. The third leg of that stool is a part of our education piece, is professional development, where we are able to uh, provide training to the teachers where they can go through our professional development program and ultimately get their 107, which the 107 in the United States is a, um, it's the, an individual would take the part 107 test, um, which is for unmanned aircraft. They receive the, uh, they pass that test and then they are um, granted a license to fly unmanned systems. It's, it's your formal pilot's license. Mm -hmm. For so we, we totally have an on-ramp towards that. That's great. And I imagine because it, there's no FPV, they don't need to worry about a ham radio license either, right? Because that could be a, a big deal in the U.S. Right. Right. And we work, um, you know, here in the, uh, in the U.S., I work with uh, some state-level aviation programs. And the hard thing is getting kids in the door. You know, they don't mm -hmm. necessarily know about aviation jobs or UAS jobs. They're... Um, you know, it's tough to get them to sit down and take a, a professional 107 license course. Right. You know, this is something that gets new people into the door, gets them excited about drones with something that they can pick up pretty quickly and have fun on a team. 
And then once you get them in, you can then move them into more industry or, um, you know, advanced courses. So this is kind of that opening of the pipeline. Uh, we see a lot of adoption with middle and high schools, you know, from right. 12 to 16, get them in. And then once they turn 16, they're eligible for that professional license. Yeah, it's easy to forget, I guess. I'm kind of been in IT for 20 years now. When I was a kid, I could like go to some school fair where people were selling PC parts and go put a computer together and learn about it. But these days, everything is just a, a glued slab that doesn't really give you an on-ramp to learn about what you're using. And, and this is a really nice way to allow kids to actually see it's not magic and it's just a bunch of components and you can slot them together and solder a few wires, write a little bit of config and you're in the air rather than it just being, you know, you buy this $1,000 box and if you break it, you've got to spend another $1,000. It's a really exactly. nice way of showing them. I, I'm looking at the chat, and it seems that maybe we want to take a step back and describe what drone soccer is, how the game plays. Absolutely. Let's do it. So, Kyle, do you want to go after it? Do you want, you want me to? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so drone soccer is a team sport. It's played uh, five on five in the full-scale games. It, you know, I grew up playing ice hockey, so I would have called it drone hockey, but the South Koreans named it because uh, it is a full-contact sport. They're surrounded by a uh, plastic exoskeleton, and these drones are crashing into each other on purpose. Uh, there is one drone on each team that is specially marked as the striker. If that drone gets through the opposing goal, that's a point. And all the other drones are defending and blocking to allow their drone to score while blocking the other team's uh, striker from scoring. So it's very dynamic. You have scoring at both ends of the arena. And uh, once a team scores... They have to repeat, uh, retreat back across the halfway point, and then they can attack again. Uh, so you have three three-minute sets with a lot of action happening. And then in between those sets, these students run and quickly repair the battle damage and the wear and tear that these drones get as they're crashing into each other. So it's uh, a lot of fun. There's a lot of complexity to the game once you start playing full scale. You can imagine there's plays and strategies and um there's also two sizes of drones we are introducing a smaller size in the u.s it's 20 centimeters so it's the uh the smaller category in the fai's rule sets yep um basically a three inch cinewhoop uh core but then there's also the larger 40 centimeter side which is a, a five inch quad uh core so that's what you're seeing a lot in south korea is that larger size right. Uh, What's but, the play area? Give us an idea of the kind of the space that these are occupying. Yeah, on the small size, it fits in any you know classroom or gymnasium. It's uh, three meters by three meters by six meters long. Oh, that is that's, small. That's, that's a lot of action. Ten feet by ten feet space. by twenty feet. If you're uh, American, mm. I was going to say you didn't even give us inches. You gave us full-on centimeters. Well, we know <laughs> Good that is math. part of our. We have worked very carefully with the World Air Sports Federation and the AMA to make sure that everything we're doing is fully in compliance with the FAI rules, the F nine A F nine A rule set. So we're going to be familiar with that as much as possible. And it means if the kids are going to aer aeronautic engineering, then that's nice and transferable as well, right? Because uh, so I want to do a little show and tell. I realize that this is a video and stuff, and maybe please we can, here, here's one of the drone soccer balls, right? And and I want to point out that when we say it's three three minute sets they take a minute to fix it if i just take this ball and crush it look at it just oh, wow. 
Boom. What is that thing made of? That is just springy. It's made of a polypropylene. We very carefully chose what the material will be. It's eight annular wings. And if we look straight at it, it's eight annular wings, each of them an individual wing that is held together with zip ties all the way around. So majority of the fixes that would occur might be replacing one of those parts. Um, this this annular wing, the exoskeleton can break and the aircraft can keep flying. So it, We're flying is the fabric itself very similar to a zip tie? Yeah. Okay. Um, is the material similar to a zip tie? The material you just you Maybe, described, I hadn't heard that type of material to a, before. Similar to a propeller, um, a, okay. a five-inch quad propeller. The, like a polycarbonate. So the propellers would shatter. That's why steel called mm-hmm. them balls. Now they are polypropylene so that they can take a bend. Okay. Just take a bend and it will bend. It's the same. So when people say polycarbonate, polypropylene is the same thing. Yeah, different, it's, similar, it's yeah, similar different. properties. <laughs> you know, we carefully designed Sorry. it so that this drone can be repaired with a single tool in 30 mm-hmm. seconds or less. You know, you break a frame, you snip a couple zip ties, put a new frame on, and you're back ready for the next uh, next set. Mm-hmm. You know, your propellers, everything on the drone, uh, a single driver can can do that. So you're seeing these students smash a drone, run over, and, you know, one or two minutes later, they're ready to get right. back in the game. We wanted to make sure they were able to keep competing. So the, another thing we determined during our prototype testing, we are using GemFan five-blade propellers. Mm-hmm. So we found, that, remember, it's just a game, and it's three three-minute sets. So if one of the propellers breaks, one of the blades breaks on a propeller, the thing can't keep flying. You can lose two. You can on some. We've seen losing two blades on one propeller, and they keep flying because they have to make wow. it through the end of the set. Right, so you're right. defending. You can still. It's not the best. There's a lot of vibration, but then they can stop, make that rapid repair, and and then get back flying. That is that is impressive. So the 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 reunair itself. I mean, I've seen a video by Mountain Country Radio. They yeah. posted on issue of, of your of your arena. That looks a very very fancy thing. This isn't just like a a bit of netting around some scaffolding. You've got like yeah. sensors and display boards and all things going on there. That looks like a, a very fancy setup. Is well, that, I guess we can tell you about one of our secret bits of technology that we've come up with. We have not made a formal announcement on. Ooh. We're not making a formal announcement here, but we will tell you about something that's pretty awesome. Within this aircraft, there's an LED board that's on on the bottom just above the, the battery it's actually the battery holder that led board has 24 leds that can be fully programmed again through beta flight they can tell the aircraft status right. and change the team colors they can flash all that stuff but also on that led board are infrared emitters uh-huh. we have a scoreboard that when the goal is 40 centimeter internal but there's a scoreboard that when the striker the aircraft that's been designated as the aircraft that can score for that team when that striker goes through the scoreboard through the goal it has infrared receivers, so it can autom- it's an automatic scoring mm-hmm. technology that we are perfecting, and we expect to have it so it'll completely feed our scoring system. One thing I noticed in the because I, I skimmed the rules and it mandated you know size, the uh, the the voltage, but it also mandated the number of LEDs on the craft. So yep. that's a that's a a part of the rules itself that you yep. need a certain number of LEDs on there. Yes, this this is an FAI compliant race drone. It has 40 LEDs on it, similar, to, and they have to be able to be programmable on the fly so that this team assignments can be made. And we wanted to make sure we built that into the programming aspect of these balls because it's 
part of dealing with systems, part of understanding systems and multiple systems, and as part of career and technical education. When a student understands that it's good to, it, it's good to get the propellers right, the flight controller set, the thing built, they're getting an A in each of these courses. So they understand, they begin to understand that as a matter of due course, they should just get an A. They should do well in each category. And that's the inspiration under the hood that we're, we're looking to do. And we've seen it happen. Kids get really excited about this. Like, oh, we have to make everything perfect. Well, that really is going to spread into the rest of their education, how they tackle any, any one classroom or any one class. That's just a lot more interesting than plugging something into a Raspberry Pi, isn't it? It's a lot better than just like, look, I made my LED flash. You're like, my LED is flying around my head and bouncing off the walls. Wonderful. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, he's one hell of a blink command. We, you mentioned at the top of the show um, that, about the whole notion of COVID. It's a very sad situation, of course. We um, continued meeting. We, we looked at that as a time when there, was, there were no expectations. So we could quietly just work on coming up with a proper aircraft and the LEDs and the partnerships with iFlight where we can get these mass produced. And mm. there's a whole list of things that we went down and we just kept meeting on every week. Every day we would continue um, at U.S. Drone Soccer to build this out. So we, we thought that that was kind of a wonderful quiet time that we spent that year getting to the point where then we did prototype testing with some of the schools, many schools in Colorado, in the United States. That helped us build out to make sure that we come up with the notions like the five-blade propeller versus the three-blade propeller. So that ultimately, we finally, now we're coming out of the COVID Mm -hmm. cloud, hopefully, um, but we also are now prepared to make a nationwide or worldwide announcement about our, our efforts with drone soccer. And this next four weeks that's a lot of that's that's excellent and you mentioned that partnership with iFlight Uh, so so far I've seen designs by LDARC and uh, you know I've used their kit in the past but Mm -hmm. I wouldn't call them like a a premium tier thing iFlight are premium they're up there you want to get the best kind of bind and fly freestyle quad iFlight evoke the the Nazgul they've just released they are premium so you've got on board with them and and developed a chassis um, an airframe with them we visited with several yeah every week yeah, we, we visit with iFlight on a weekly basis. Absolutely. And we did, we have all through COVID, we have an, it's an evening for us and a morning for them. And um, that's how they kick off their week and we kick off our Monday night. Um, but we work very carefully. Again, we, saw, we talked to several different companies prior and toured factories to see what, what the different places would be like. And iFlight is just a fantastic partner. They're very, very good to work with. And um, they've taken our suggestions. And um, in so many ways, we've completely owned what this is, and they have allowed us to do that, relying upon us. Um, and I think the partnership we have is, is based on mutual leadership. They're leading in China with this, or they plan to, and, and we're, they've given us an opportunity to, to lead with this and, and bring this to North America, um, United States, and um, through our partners and pals in, in Europe as well. That's fantastic. I mean, it, it's things like this that get people on board and push the technology forward. Mm-hmm. Seeing an appealing use case drives the technology forward, and I'm sure there's going to be lots of interesting developments around LEDs and light pipes and all this stuff that come out of drone soccer. Yeah, we and have. I'm a- sure you all are aware that you know it's it's tough to come in as a novice and know what to buy, mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of schools and school systems are relying on off-the-shelf drones mm-hmm. that are right. fragile that they get from the store or order from somewhere, and that really aren't built for the classroom. Like you mentioned, a, a magic box that flies until you break it and then it doesn't work. Um, so yeah. this is something that we really carefully designed 
that a novice can use to get into the sport. And then if they want to put a camera on it and race with it, they can do that. Excellent. So kind of bringing people in and um, we actually uh, pushed uh, pretty early on to have this be a solderless assembly. So imagine learning to solder with 12 year olds is a bit of a challenge. Mm -hmm. Um, So the motors and flight boards are uh, plugged, you know, so they assemble the hardware, but they can go straight into, you know, the programming, the test flying. Um, We've a student can build this in about an hour and program it in another hour. uh, And then they're learning how to fly. So the, the time to pick up this sport, you know, if you can hover in front of the goal, you can play the game. You so I'm good at it. After you've you spent a couple of terms plugging in new motors and plugging in new LEDs and fixing your frame up, do you see a lot of people then go on and take it further and start to do a custom build of their own and, and get out there, fly it around the parking lot? That's exactly the idea. Um, you know, they can modify, upgrade, customize this. Some of the school programs we're working with have CNC machines that they're ma- manufacturing their own parts for it. And that's what we want to see. That's perfect. Mm. Yeah. When I was at school, it was all making mirror stands and make a perspex recipe book holder or something. If I could have made a drone frame, I would have been over the moon. I tell you, it's fantastic. Oh my God. I had a bottle opener. You guys have got like way better. (laughs) Yeah. It's crazy, isn't it? Well, they wouldn't let trust us with anything shiny. (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't trust you with anything shiny. Part of our philosophy has been to keep the rules set open or to keep to stay within the FAI rules. But to, mm-hmm. if, if somebody wanted to show up to an event and, and with their own modification or mod, modification to this ball, or it, it has to be within 20 centimeters, the aircraft has to be below 300 grams. After that, really? the, um, the, they're, they're fully compliant with the FAI rules. And so they would be able to play into our realm. As far as the automatic scoring stuff, we could always figure that out later. But we do want, we do encourage everybody to be able to modify if they could. We don't think they're going to be able to come come up with a better approach than what we've done here. They might, and we are encourage that. We're excited about that. And on the forty centimeter platform, we completely expect to see a lot of amazing things that can happen with that. The commercial yeah. application of one of these aircraft or a 40 centimeter diameter aircraft mm-hmm. commercial application where these things could fly in a harsh environment in a closed environment and be able to send radar, LIDAR, sonar, or be able to fly with all that. It's a flight controller with you. Or like a, put a servo on there with a grabber, have a bit of fun. There's a lot of different things. That can <laughs> so with our stabilizing technology, um, that, that can happen. Let me talk about that real quick. So part of the mm-hmm. program that we did with this, if you think about uh, as a standard electric motor, when it runs into interference, it tries harder. And with a flight controller, it's programmed to tilt over and, and run into the wind, fly, flying whatever. So if the wind gets goofy, same with this. It's going to be a similar flight controller, but it's going to run into something. We know it's, let's, it's going to run into the side of the arena. It's going to run into the net. And what we found with just standard programming is it would hit the side and shoot up and then go to the corner and go, wow. Just Yay, so yeah, the only thing we could do is disarm and let it fall and go, oh no, now what do we do? So we spent a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of testing to program this aircraft so that when it runs into the net, it registers the air and then dismisses mm-hmm. it. It just bounces off. And so that allows for uh, to not to climb and go off to the corner, but allows for the student or anybody to fly it and, and accept. Again, it, it hits an air, 
registers it, dismisses it, and, and goes back to flying normal. I imagine there's a lot of people doing whoop races and things that would be really interested to, to hear what you came up with there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they're, they're certainly not indestructible, but they take a lot of abuse. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Imagine a 12-year-old learning to fly for the first time. You know, they're bouncing it from the floor to ceiling, and these things stand up pretty well, you know, to some, you know, very novice pilots. And then once you gain a more experience in the game, your flight becomes a lot more controlled, and you're balancing the risk you want to take of getting knocked out of the game versus, you know, how conservative you want to fly. Mm-hmm. And um, so there's always that delicate balance that in the sport right now, in the rule sets, if you get knocked out, you're just out for the rest of that three minute set, and your team is flying shorthanded. So if you're, you know, ramming a, a solid goal going as fast as you can, yeah, your drone might not survive it. So it's mm. it's an interesting dynamic as, you know, it's full contact. But, but you start sport. them off a little bit rate limited and power limited. So they, they oh, can't yeah. just go full tilt into stuff and you work them up as their skill level increases, I, I assume. Yeah, we have a training wheels protocol. We brought the settings down to an absolute minimum for mm-hmm. a brand new pilot. Um it's still a challenge, you know, uh, they, if they have no familiarity with it, it, it takes them a couple hours to really get the hang of it. Um, but we had uh, some student teams at a summer camp. They showed up on Tuesday for a four hour a day summer camp. And on Saturday, we're competing in a state tournament and won the gold medal. So these kids can pick it up really fast. <laughs> That's nice. And uh, they get to that yes. level um, surprisingly quickly. When we, they're learning a lot more than just buying a console on day of release and hiding away for 48 hours until they become wizards at it. It's a more right. of a life skill. We see the future of the pilots flying from the examples from our friends in Korea, where they have balls that are going in a round robin in a defensive mode where they're following each other. It's wow! It's really crazy to see takes how much skill. time they must have spent, but the skill level, and we see mm-hmm. that our students will eventually grow to have that a similar approach where they're, they're machines together working together. So formation flying, mm-hmm. that's just, <laughs> you see a lot of people doing formation flying fixed wing, but I imagine when, when these kids get out there with multi rotors in, in wide open spaces, they'll be able to do some really impressive things. Yeah. Formation flying fixed wing, by the way, is incredibly difficult. This episode was recorded in front of a live online audience, downloaded and edited to make sense when it's played audio only, censored to please the iTunes people, hosted on the internet, forwarded through to your podcast provider, downloaded, playing on your device, and is now playing in your ears, all thanks to our Patreons. Consider joining them and you'll also get other online benefits. Find out more at patreon.com forward slash let's drone out. I wanted to... uh answer a question in the chat you know is there a referee ball that's uh, black and white i did build a referee ball this, <laughs> oh, <look. laughs> this is just the frame but i i put my hd camera on it and we were using it to get uh in-game footage so <laughs> mm. oh, i wasn't trying to denigrate formation flying fixed wing by the way J- just more saying that uh, the interesting options with thrust vectoring with a multi-rotor could be yeah. could lead to some interesting fixed wing flying sure yeah absolutely um, yeah. Having done uh, formation fixed wing flying in the Air Force, I can tell you honestly, it was the uh, scariest, most intimidating thing I've ever done. You know, flying ten feet away from another plane, uh, flown mm-hmm. in combat, I've skydived. Formation flying was the most intense. What aircraft were you flying formation? Because like, uh, we we have some regular hosts who will be wetting themselves not to being able to <laughs> speak to you about this because they are massive uh, formation flying fans. 
Oh yeah. I mean, you know, everybody in the air force trains information flying in the T six Texan two, which is kind of a modern P 51 Mustang. Um, I went on to fly C one thirties, which we do fly mm-hmm. formation tactical low level in a 300 foot wingspan aircraft. That's, that's uh, impressive. Yeah. It's, it's a big plane. You got to be careful when you're flying formation <laughs> in a big plane. Um, but yeah, it's a, you know, for me, the big element of drone racing that was missing was that team element for me. You know, I've always played mm. team sports. That's what's fun for me. Uh, flying formation is some of the most fun you'll ever have because you're interacting with other people in the air. And so drone soccer has that and you can really get that experience. Um, you know, there's that saying that, you know, it's a good, everyone has a plan until you get punched in the face. Uh <laughs> You know, flying a drone when somebody else is trying to hit you, it's a whole different experience. And it, mm-hmm. it's now not about your individual skill level. It's you're trying to outsmart and outfly somebody um, mm, head to head. Yeah. It's, it's exciting. I found with, um, you know, modern aircraft, if there's a lot of you up in the air and you're trying to hit each other, you can never can. But <laughs> as soon as there's just two of you, you know. Two of you, you in an empty you, field, you will oh, crash. 15 oh, you, up you, flying combat, you can't hit anyone. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. Like five minutes, you know, just two of you, you get very intimate. So, yeah, we, we had some people on doing um, an FPV combat system where they had LED based guns and sensors that would yeah. fire and registering hits and things. And yeah, in- incredibly difficult to actually hit anything. But it yeah. Is. <laughs> yeah. So I want to go back. That's why we back. lock him in a very small space. I want to talk about yeah. drone soccer again. And it's just yeah. something I was thinking of that we really like drone racing. It's a blast. You'll find us involved in other drone racing things in the future, probably just because it's an awesome community. But within a drone race, it's difficult sometimes to see who's in the lead, it's, it's who's who's winning, yeah. and how that thing was. Yeah. I've been to races all over the world. And it's always for a spectator, way. it's challenging. Yeah, and for me, it's a blast because <laughs> I think I know people, and so I'm cheering for them, but I'm thinking about what about the people in the crowds are going, no, this is really neat over what's happening. Mm-hmm. When we've had our test tournaments, one of the things that shocked me just is I would go and everything was happening. I sit down in the grandstands and, and watch the people. The parents were rooting for their kids from that high school. Go South High School. It was amazing because they could see right in front of them the action. They knew what was happening. You constrain the action in a, in a smaller space and there's yeah. more action in that. It's not just one at a time tearing around a track. It's just much more interesting for a spectator isn't it they can easily focus on it it's incredible that we thought oh sure it's gonna be much more spectator friendly but to see the parents seeing what's happening and knowing oh there was a good score oh what a block it it was a wonderful shock to the system to say these people everybody's into it they can really see so in the entire room everybody was engaged they can see it's a sport that they're familiar with right it's not some kind of angry wasp zipping around a track it's familiar Yeah, it's somehow. And, um, and who doesn't like a you know a hard hit, right? And they, <laughs> they go crazy. There's cheering. You know, it was it was. We were when they first started like cheering. We were like, what? Is, well, they're really into it. You know, it was exciting to see. That must have been a great day. It, yes, it was, and it continues to be because that's mm-hmm. it's a return each time we see this happening. Yeah. So, and and you've obviously you know you like you said you've you've tied the. The behemoth that is the U.S. high school sports system, and mm-hmm. you've got these contacts in China doing the the hardware. You've put some software together. You've got it fitting within the FAI. You've got the um, educational side of things lined up as well. For someone who is you know drone inclined, who's maybe 
you know, got a kid in school and is thinking, oh, I would, I would like to get my local school uh, starting to do this. What, what should they do to get in contact with you, and what should they expect to kind of happen? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, this is a community sport in that you have to have teams to play, and so the most important piece of this is finding a community center, a university, somewhere in that uh, city to put an arena. Uh, we partner with nonprofit organizations primarily. They fundraise, bring the program into that town, and then we can begin enrolling schools and community teams. Uh, we've had success with air and space museums, with um, youth outreach programs, with uh, community colleges, you know, vocational universities in, in the UK, whatever you guys call them. And um, they are really excited about what this means for young people, and they're very eager to get it. Um, once we have, you know, that presence in the community, uh, teams and programs can enroll directly. Uh, we bulk ship all the equipment to them to get them started. We train their staff in, you know, how to use FPV-style drones if they're not familiar with it. So we're really trying to, you know, hold the hands of those local leaders and educators to get into the program. The key is to having a venue that has an arena, mm -hmm. the first arena, so schools can come to that spot. And, mm -hmm. we, and we found that an Air and Space Museum is looking to bring more people by to visit and all things Air and Space. What, what and the kind of logistics there? You, you've got a big net, you've got the goals. Is there a lot of extra apparatus to do sensing for the goals and things? Real, the, we need a 10 by 20 foot footprint for the arena. Usually you need some standoffs six to 12 feet all the way around and everything should be able to be contained within that arena, within that area. The contraptions for the goals, the goals are, are self-contained. You need power. You need to be able to power them. So they work real well. And the arena um, itself is a bit tall. You know, you mm -hmm. need a four meter ceilings or so at least uh, just to fit it all in there. But if you have a space like that. You've got a um, hole you're playing basketball in or something like that. Yeah, you know, right, right. exactly. You you put three of these arena in a gymnasium in a basketball court. That when we had our um, Rocky Mountain State Games tournament, we had two arenas right next to each other. You may have seen it from that um, radio show that um, you mentioned earlier. They had some really nice video, but there was two arenas next to each other, so we were able to do a round robin tournament and really work on quite a few um, games through as it is a point of matter is one game we found if you're in a tournament setting is about 30 minutes to mm. have three minutes on three minutes off you know three minutes three three minute sets within time a little bit of time to um, do a little repair and then just the bookkeeping on the front end and the back end so about 30 minutes we'll rotate through one game i imagine that you've put safety measures around pretty much everything that kind of kind of leaves the battery charging i guess as the perennial problem around, around RC hobbies, right? You, you have to supervise all that stuff nice and closely. You know, we really do, and I have a huge amount of respect for batteries. I had about a $25,000 fire in my garage, and I did not lose my house because of a great neighbor and happened to have a hose right there. But it's, there's going to be a fire eventually. We, we really respect that. And so um, battery care and safety is part of our training, it's what we teach the students, that responsibility. We have fantastic battery chargers that we're working with. The Toolkit RC M4Qs, we love them because of how well, how great they charge. The key to this, though, is that in a three-minute set, we're using a 450 milliamp or maybe even a 550 milliamp hour battery. 
we're only draining it down about 30%. There's a lot more juice. So we're not beating the tar out of the batteries. We're not <sighs> taking them. And it's not a drone race where we're you know, going full mm-hmm. throttle. Wow. It's, it's managed flight. And so we're not, we're really pleased about what we're finding with the performance of the batteries that they don't get beat up and they're not, and they're not getting any, slapped uh, around. Before you're falling around 10 feet, so you're not going to smash them too bad. Huh? Yeah. So, um, go ahead. I was going to say, if you guys, I've got two questions. Have you guys, um, have you heard about BatSafe, those little BatSafe battery boxes with the um, filter of the vent to atmosphere? That might be something that you could incorporate. We do include um, safe bags with yeah. aircraft, or the aircraft, the batteries, the chargers. It's yeah. part of our overall program, absolutely. We, yeah, I just wondered for storage, you know, it might yeah. be even better. Yeah. And, and we uh, my other, storage safe bags. Yeah, my other question, have you guys considered or if you – oh, very very good, Steve. He's uh, holding one up. Uh, yeah, Frank, Frank's, Frank owns two and I own the extra large one, I think. So yeah, we, what we, is that? Every yeah. box. So this is a, a, a basically a fire retardant charging case, and they've put a little rubber grommet on. So you feed all the cables through a rubber grommet, got a little rest to put your charger on there, uh, and a latch to close it. So you do all the charging in in a fireproof box, like no, minimalist, basically. I like that a lot. That's safe. Hard, it's hard not to love something like that, especially if we're see magic smoke come blowing out of it. Yeah, they've done some tests where they actually uh, like overcharged a battery. They put the charger on lead acid profile and and blew a battery up in here and let out a bit of smoke, but it all stayed in the box. And that's the main thing. Yeah. And um, my other question is, I wondered if you guys have spoken to anyone who can like implement like drone football digitally so that you guys could like have a bit of a simulation. It's on our roadmap. Um, yeah. between 40 centimeter and a simulator. I don't know which one is more of a winner. Kyle's been pushing yeah. for it, for, and we, we agree, that, that being able to simulate this. And we have conversations going on with a couple of different companies or people. That's all mm-hmm. that yeah. we really want to say. But, yeah, it is definitely something that uh, we, we have in, our, in the works. Yeah, yeah. That would be a problem with the, uh, modeling the collisions, you know. So mm-hmm. uh, hopefully there is a flight simulator that can handle that. Um, but that's super important, you know, as we roll this out. The key to us is accessibility, mm-hmm. you know, something that teachers can use, you know, families can use right away. You can train on the computer. You can mm-hmm. charge it at home, you know, in a battery bag so it's safe. You know, it's a big part of what we're trying to roll out to families. You know, Kyle, you're saying roll out to families. I want to remind us, you and I, about the conversation we had early on. They used to, and we, we agreed on something really quickly. And this is about the kids. This is about This is so much about the students. And what as we've talked to different people and the feedback we've received from from the teachers of the students that are in the tougher neighborhoods that are going to the boys and girls club to escape mm-hmm. they have a nice place and they have they're playing drone soccer it was such a, an amazing thing to see but these are programs that we need to be interested in this is promoting social social emotional wellness these kids are getting inspired to work harder and and when we look at this we're so excited about what this is about. And again, this, these are the kind of programs that we want to be, that everybody should be stopping and looking at and we should be promoting and we should be involved in because of mm-hmm. the impact on the kids. It's really exciting to see what it's going to do for them. We, these, the first group in Colorado, we can tell already that they're going to, they're aspiring to become engineers. 
to, to be not necessarily pilots, that's not, but to approach yeah. a whole, a much more technical approach to, to their school. It, it's very difficult to get onto applied engineering. In the classroom, it's traditionally all theoretical. You've got your mathematics and, and languages, mm-hmm. you know, English literature and things, but to actually get applied engineering is very difficult until you get to the point where you can be trusted around a car and that's yeah. <laughs> a pretty senior student, really. Up until then, you don't right. really feel you're doing anything applied. It's really... It gives you so much satisfaction as someone who's worked in IT for years to actually put something together and see it do something. Absolutely. That, that is the reward. It's a celebration yeah, the, when it does something. Like, yes, it works. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. The feedback. Yeah, the other piece of this uh, of accessibility is the cost. You know, it is something that is prohibitive in, in this uh, community, in this hobby. You know, it costs a mm-hmm. lot to get into high-performance drones or industrial drones. Um, so we work real hard that everything a student needs – for, for the entire season, all the spare parts, tools, charger, batteries, everything is uh, under $500. And we're working with not only educational systems who will fund this program, but also the athletic departments, you know, mm-hmm. to form an athletic club to pay for this for schools. Uh, this is a international sport. And pretty soon this will be a varsity uh, sport at the school level uh, that they'll be competing in their uh, school systems with so mm-hmm. by finding avenues of funding to support these kids mm-hmm. we can get them in without them having to go out and spend a thousand dollars of their own money are, are you helping the school purchasing programs like one thing in the uk that always stuck out to me as a kid was like how little the school manages to get for their money like where does that money go and it always seems like when you hear they spent x amount of money and you look at what they've got there's always a few eyebrows raised you know uh, you kind of help them out with that and make sure they don't make any uh, bad purchases. Yeah. You know, a lot of school systems have been burned on bad drones. Uh, so they all want to see this and beat it up first. Um, mm-hmm. But the response has been really great. We work mostly with the district and state level here in the U S um, there are massive funds set aside for career training. And everybody sees that the drone industry is a booming high skill industry um, the aviation industry, you know, to go be a mechanic on a plane right. or a technician or a pilot has a massive shortage here in the U.S. So the entire educational system recognizes the value of getting students into something like this. And so we've been uh, successful at getting those funds for the schools so they don't schools aren't paying for it themselves, really. Mm. Mm. Right. And you're, you're providing these these kits as well. Right. So there's the, the economy of scale from you getting these uh, systems together and working with the manufacturers, but yeah. also presumably as well, because, you know, a school unit, a school club isn't going to buy one kit. They're going to buy, you know, 10, 15. Uh, right. And, and as a matter of fact, we are not making these available as a single kit. You won't be able to go to your local hobby store yet and, and buy one of these. It's strictly for the education. So we have classroom packs of six pack and a 12 pack. So we can have six packs, three on three, or two can go, you know, six, you go five versus five versus another school. Mm-hmm. So if you want to get your hands on one of these, uh, you would need to go through your local arena, join a team and order your, your kit like you would um, on any other kind of sports team. So mm-hmm. um, it's a, a bit of a way to encourage the community. I think that's something that uh, the drone community has struggled with is b- attracting and bringing in new pilots. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is kind of a way to start building that foundation giving the community centers a way to bring people in 
And um, it also keeps the cost low because we ship directly to the arena locations oh. instead of double paying shipping for every yeah. single person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Cause I, I, and, I was thinking, you know, maybe a school uh, or community club or, or whatever it is, you know, maybe we'd want to get maybe the drones first because then you can actually you know have something that's that's going on you can get the kids interested and you can get things happening on a regular basis and then sort of build up to the arena but i guess you know what you're saying is you know in a in a larger area you want an arena there so that you can get the the kits there and have a a central hub of uh presumably not just the shipping but also knowledge and you know contacts and you know because it's, it's no good if if there's one person in in a school who who knows it and then they move to the next school over you know? right whereas if you've got a an arena there and you've got that commitment there presumably that makes sure that that investment in those kits is going to carry on uh, regardless you make a good point we, we mentioned that it's really important to have a central arena for a group school so let's go back to how do you bring this into your community it's, it's mm-hmm. a three-step three-step step process first off the arena that has to be there and ready to go the second is that person a hero a local person who says i'm going to carry the torch this is something we need to have and it's a career and technical education teacher it's the administrator the principal of the school it's a local parent who's like oh my gosh this is great and i know my teachers at the school it's a local hero that's going to do it and the third is go to, go to dronesoccer.world and sign up there we have an application a form for you to fill out dronesoccer.us or dronesoccer.world we take the information we're going to reach out to that hero, that local person, say, what's going on? How can we work together? And then we begin that conversation. And, and as a matter of fact, we then begin connecting the dots because there's a lot of dots in that we have interest popping up in the UK. There's three or four organizations already that we're talking to that are reaching out to us from funding sources to um, working with the army in the UK. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was I actually saying, speaking of funding sources, I had an email from that group this morning, Kyle, we need to answer those questions for our buddy Neil. <laughs> so we want to, if you reach out to us, who don't soccer.world, we're going to connect your dots to say, you know, what's already happening in the UK. It's already happening mm-hmm. in Spain. We have, well, here's our friends in Germany or in, we have, unfortunately we've, we have not done very much marketing at all. We've just been doing the testing and talking about this and we keep getting people asking questions. What else is happening? And so the world, <laughs> word's getting out and people are reaching out already saying, um, how do we bring this into our community? I'm, I'm a local leader. I, how do I put an arena in? There's different people. There's arena people and then there's people, local leaders. And we want to talk about those. We want to talk to And them. by the way, you don't have to be a, a school system. If you are a drone business owner, if you have a retail space that you could put this in, if you have a racetrack um, that people are doing racing in your in your space, if you have about... 30 by 40 feet, you know, um, I don't know what that is in meters, but if you have enough room for an arena, <laughs> come on, um, if you can play basketball, you, you, you can talk play drone soccer. Right. If you can fit it in your venue, uh, you could be that nice local arena that begins um, bringing everybody into that space. Great. Mm. That's wonderful. Mm. I, I was wondering if you've got any interest in sponsorship from, you mentioned the army there, the, the kind of people that might benefit from kids going into STEM in this angle, doing applied engineering, whether it's doing mapping stuff or going out doing agriculture or, you know, 101 different things that people are finding uses for, for drones in the modern world. And it seems like every month there's someone testing the water with with a new way to use drones. Are any of those people approaching you and getting interest in, in, in pushing the sport forward? 
We had some interest from some some companies that probably best not talk about yet. Kyle might want to, might be able to okay. draw something or something, but we're again we're getting started on this, and we expect to have um, interest from those. Kyle, do you want to spill any beans? Well, so primarily, it's um, a lot of organizations that are already doing robotics education that are a little mm-hmm. bit bored with mm-hmm. you know the traditional robotics. Mm-hmm. Um, we're getting a lot of universities that really see the value um, for their college students, but also bringing in the high school students on the campus. Um, That translates to, you know, some uh, military type people who do like ROTC, you know, cadet stuff at the university, um, museums, other places like that are very eager. Any place that they want to bring in young people uh, for STEM is pretty excited about it, including some international NGOs that are, helping us bring this to other countries. So uh, Kyle, will be you, some more coming out about that soon. Can, can, can you want to spill, you want to tell about that, what's going on in um, Africa and that what that might lead to? Yeah. So uh, we have a program uh, with, uh, it's a partnership with a nonprofit, the global um, air drone Academy. Global They're drone. out of Baltimore, uh, but they've been working really closely in Lagos, Nigeria with the U S embassy. So we're part of a U.S. embassy funded program to go train eight schools in drone soccer and have the first African drone soccer tournament in January. Mm, congratulations. Um, so that's Each school will hasn't have been announced yet, but it's all coming. And um, that's just an example of mm-hmm. taking drones and drone technology to an area where these students would never have an opportunity to engage mm-hmm. with it, um, getting them in a team environment. And because how exciting it is for local leaders, you know, you get this one in and now you start to see the rest of the area is like, well, how can we compete? You know? <laughs> yeah. um, so it's exciting. On those schools, we're going to have five, excellent. we'll have five young men and five young women that would be competing towards in, and we will go there and have a tournament where we'll determine the winner of that first initial tournament. We have a goal of then bringing that team to the United States to um, compete in an international tournament that we'll be putting mm-hmm. together talking more about, um, Somewhere in July. July. So. Okay. We'll watch this space though. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, well, we I'm, really I'm, I'm, I'm. So if, if people want to keep an eye on this and watch out for headlines, watch out for drone soccer news, where can they go? Uh, dronesoccer.us right now is the best place. Uh, we're working on international websites. Um, but dronesoccer.us is, is a great source for it. Um, we're working with iFlight and the AMA in the next uh, two or three weeks to kind of start that uh, that campaign. Um, right now, we've been very quiet, and uh, we're ready to start telling people about it. I will say on that Lagos, Nigeria program, one of the leaders in towards bringing that into um, Africa and, and across Africa and into Nigeria, one of those leaders is from the UK. And he's talked to us like, I can't wait to have this go into place so that then we can talk about bringing this into the UK. So we actually, we expect to be um, working with you guys or, or in the United Kingdom um, in the next six months. We expect what? to see drone Where soccer. is dronesoccer.co.uk? Where is it? <laughs> well, it's it's in the wings. It's on, it's probably we will see it. 
we'll, um, we'll keep an eye out. Very much looking forward to those that. The different organizations that are wanting to be involved with this. It happens to be that UK is rather like the state of New York here in the United States. That there's a lot of things happening, and we're about ready to put drone soccer there. We'll have, have to see it happen to our pockets around the US. The UK is, is one of those wonderful regions in the, in the world. I'm very Thank much you. looking oh. forward to hearing more about that in the UK because cool. I mean we've we've uh, we've struggled let's say to we get tried. A, a drone we struggled to make stem interesting going around the UK before now um but hopefully that's now all the politics of that has all worked out and we'll, we'll get into that we've also got the uh, the giant uh, drone racing the X class that's yeah, going so. to be starting next week, next week weekend, the 16th of October. That is going to be our first X-Class race in the UK. Have you seen uh, where those beasts fly? They are awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We've, we've, there's, there's been some friendly, uh, some friendly matches, I should say, um, at some various events, but this will be the first proper competitive uh, timed race, um, and there will also be... Uh, the beginnings of some wing racing in the UK as well mm-hmm. at that event. Uh, cool. And that's been put on by uh, Fossil Stuff and the British Drone Flyers, and uh, it's being done at Popham Airfield. Uh, so anyone in the UK who wants to go along to that, that's uh, Popham Airfield on the 16th of October. Um, and you can find more by getting in touch with Fossil Stuff, I believe. Um but yes, so I'm really looking forward to as well hearing where and when drone soccer reaches yeah. the UK. Um, oh. Yeah, up until up until July, never even heard of it. And well, uh, we'd like to reach out to you when we get there and say, "Hey, let's talk again." Absolutely. Yeah, let's keep absolutely. the lines of communication open. It's going to be very exciting yeah. to hear you go into your your next season. By the sound of it, it's all getting up to speed. Yeah, good stuff. Thank you. Uh, um, thank you. Uh, yeah, thank you guys so much. That was really, like, really, really interesting. It might even be time to uh, start up a team poop again, maybe, Frank. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, the most professional the, of teams. The, the, the British, sponsored by the British Poop Poo Museum, which, uh, which is fantastic. Kyle, I, I, I've got a personal question to ask you. Can I borrow you one evening so that I can get you on a Discord call? Have you ever heard of DCS, Digital Combat Simulator? So these other um, people that are familiar with the show like to sit there and play it, and you know, <laughs> I, I would just I will pay you to just come on and just be like, you're doing it wrong. You can't fly formation. You suck. <laughs> so <laughs> I, please. Uh, so I, I am a, a a bit of a gamer on the side. I have a Hotas, and uh, I like to play flying games because it's. I have eleven years of training, and it. it's a bit of an unfair advantage, but it's a lot of fun for me. So. Oh please, school. <laughs> I, I haven't seen this one, um, but yeah, I'd the, be happy to talk yeah. with you guys about some basic tactics. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know what you've started. Oh mate. Just watching NJ sweat would be amazing. I'll buy Oh, this it. is fun for me. I like oh. this kind of stuff. Oh, amazing. <laughs> no worries. And then um, just quickly before you sign off, uh so ifpv.co.uk slash events slash one eight four is the link for the sign up for the X Class and Wing Racing at Popham Airfield on the sixteenth of October. You've been listening to Let's Drone Out, and we've been talking all about drone soccer. So you've been joined by Andrew slash Frank. Bye. 
Stephen. Goodbye. Uh, myself, Bright Star Fly. Kyle. Sanders. We'll see you next time. And you're the VP and the president, David Roberts. Thank you very much for your time. It's really been fun sharing. Thanks very much. Telemetry lost.